it started to kind of you know struggle for you know cash flow and sales and everything else. I was actually let go in the July of last year, and it absolutely floored me. I drove home kind of shell shocked on the day I was told, and I coach an under sevens football team that my lad plays for, and I was going to training, and I thought, well, I can't cancel training, you know, it's not the lad's fault, and I went. And on the way home, I phoned my wife and said, you know, I've, I've lost my job. And I told her. And uh, I burst into tears. I don't mind admitting it. And when I got there, the, the training, my youngest lad, he'd drawn me a card to say, hey, sorry, you've lost your job, Dad. It was just floored me because, you know, you can imagine Kai and my eldest lad. I always remember the words because um, I always remember this. And he said to me, does this mean we can't have ice creams anymore? Before you know it, you start, you realise how good people are and there's some opportunities out there. I got in touch with a recruitment agency. And there's something about the advert. He didn't specify what the role was. He kind of made out it was a project management role. Didn't go into it in too much detail, but somebody, something piqued me interest. And I thought, I'm going to phone him and speak to him. So I messaged him on LinkedIn and I said, any chance we can have a chat? I'd like to register with you. And we got chatting and I told him all about your background and he listened. And at the end of the conversation, he started laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? He said, I've got a role here. He said that I'm thinking to myself, how can I fill this role? He said, and you just ticked every single box. If you're a police officer or currently working in law enforcement and you're considering your career, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Andy Labram. Welcome to the Blue Light Leavers podcast. So today I'm talking to Stuart Maguire. Stuart is a former temporary inspector from Greater Manchester Police, and he gives a fantastic message of resilience and the importance of networking throughout this interview. Now, after a particularly difficult year, Stuart started to look outside of policing and then moved to the Royal Mail, where he had a pretty tough time. Since then, he's moved into roles as an operations manager. He's moved into business development and marketing. And since then, he's developed his own consultancy and he's now working with the NHS. Throughout the interview, he talks about how his skills and experience from the police service have been key to his success, but he's not had it easy. He's shown fantastic resilience throughout. As I said, the underlying message throughout this is the importance of networking. Towards the end of the interview, he also gives some fantastic advice for anyone that's looking to leave the police service, or in fact, if you're staying in the service, but you're looking at getting promoted. Now, don't forget, you can join the Blue Light Leavers Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Blue Light Leavers. Let's go over to Stuart now. Hi, Stuart. Thank you very much for, um, for agreeing to be interviewed on the Blue Light Leavers podcast today. Really do appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Andy. It's a pleasure to be part of, to be honest. And um, before we start, really, I'd just like to say, you know, I'm really pleased and the kind of creation of the platform that you've done because I think it's fantastic. I've, you know, certainly enjoyed being a member of the group and I think it's great what you've done and, you know, you're trying to help people. I know we've, we've spoken on the phone probably going back a few months now, haven't we? So just to say really before we start, a big thanks from me is, you know, for the creation of the group. Oh, that's, that's really kind of you. Thank you very much for that. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, do you want to tell listeners uh, a little bit about you and what it is that you currently do? Yeah, well, I'm, um, obviously my name is Stuart, Stuart Maguire. I'm 44, uh, married with two children. I'm currently working uh, three days a week as a management consultant for the NHS, the Northern Care Alliance Trust, one of the biggest trusts in the country. It covers five hospitals in the northwest of England. And basically, to cut a long story short, they had um, a huge overspend uh, in the budget for the interpretation and translation services. So clearly when a patient comes in and they, they can't speak English as the first language, they need help, obviously, either over the telephone or face-to-face. So they'd had this big overspend. There were some concerns, I think, as well with 
you know, uh, some of the manual, you know, the usual stuff and efficiencies in the systems and just looking at, they wanted somebody with a fresh pair of eyes with kind of project managers experience and knowledge of the industry, which I'm sure we can touch on later to come in basically and do it, you know, so you, you'll know the phrase Andy quite well, deep dive analytical review, um, obviously of the actual process. So wanted somebody to come in and just, you know, look at it to see whether we can, you know, make any, you know, first of all, obviously improve patient care as the main objective, but also, generating cost savings along with that. Brilliant. And what was it you were doing before that in terms of I was your working. policing career? In terms of police, yeah, I joined the police uh, Joined the police 2000 at the age of 24. I felt at the time it was a really good age to join because you'll know yourself now, there's a lot of people kind of joining now, I think at 18, which, you know, my own personal opinion, I think that's a little bit too young. You know, I think you need a little bit of life experience, don't you, to deal with some of the situations that obviously you're, you know, ultimately aware of what we deal with on a day-to-day basis or what we did. And I went to, went to university, did a business and management studies degree. Straight from university, I went to Electrical Wholesaler. It was a nationwide company and I was on a graduate management program. So I think at the time, Andy, it was a test of who wanted to, who wanted the job and who didn't because they put all the Northwest people down South and they put all the down, all the Southern people up North. So I think it was like, let's see who wants this job. So, um, fantastic, um, life experience because I'd lived at home at university. I'd never, I went to a local university. So, you know, I always had money in my pocket. Mum and dad were great with me. You know, I didn't need any student loans or anything like that. Came out, no debt. And I went to London for a couple of years working for Electrical Wholesaler uh, Nationwide on the graduate management program. So, you know, the usual admin, purchasing, sales, you know, the, the kind of the whole functions of the business. So I did that for two years. Got a little bit homesick, if I'm honest. Uh, started to miss the rain in Manchester and the Northwest. So I decided to come back and got a transfer with the same company. So in total, I did four years. But there was always that itch of... You know, you know, do I want to do something else? What would I really enjoy? And a couple of friends had joined the police a year previously and they would talk about it all the time, how great it was, how every day was different. You know, I'm sure you know the, the cliche surrounding it, you know, driving cars at high speed and, you know, rolling around with people and making, you know, keeping people safe and everything. And I thought, yeah, I fancy that. So, yeah, I applied. Uh, and in March 2000, uh, I became a police officer in Greater Manchester Police. What was your career look like after that, once you joined? It was, it was good, actually, because, um, you know, I started off, obviously, um, you know, at the time I was single, I was, you know, I had no sort of serious girlfriend, no children, anything like that. So, you know, the career was kind of, you know, me everything at the time. So I progressed quite quickly, really. I, um, I became an acting sergeant with about four years, four and a half years, and then obviously took the sergeant's exams with um, five years service. So I was five years, I was a substantive sergeant. I started off um, in a particular area, you know, I did your probation for two years. And then I did a couple of like little stints in, you know, units, comments and everything to increase your experience. And then predominantly stayed on response. But like I said, I got to be a substantive sergeant in 2005 and moved to Salford, which um, has its own, should we say, um, problems. And, you know, you can imagine, can't you? There's, there's, a, there's quite a few issues surrounding Salford in terms of organised crime and everything else. So that's certainly presented quite a few challenges to me but one that I kind of took on and embraced really and it, I thought it was really good for career development it was a very busy division you know there's a lot happening and I think it was one of those areas that if you did well you know you would get noticed so went to Salford um, did a variety of roles really um, response neighbourhood did a year um, on a covert unit which I, if I'm honest it was the best year of my career thoroughly enjoyed I had a fantastic team um, they made me look good if I'm honest I was a sergeant and we had seven on the van um, and it was one of those, Andy, you'll, you'll know yourself from the police. It, it was a, it was a dream job because we'd start at seven in the morning. I'd come in at maybe about 25 to seven, 20 to seven. 
And I kid you not, they were all in uniform, full uniform, I mean body armour as well, with a cup of tea on my desk, and they were going out the door to do the first job. Why I had to do, obviously, all the, you know, the kind of admin and the intelligence and the paperwork side of it. They were just majority supervised the results that we got over the year. So basically, you know, anything that had happened, you know, if there'd been a, an armed robbery or there'd been some sort of big incident, we would deploy and do the house to house. We would do any searching. We would do, you know, although we, we were like, it was called an operational support unit. So we were in addition to kind of, you know, to the kind of senior leadership team. That So they would deploy us. They'd have a, you know, how it works. They'd have a, um, they'd have a meeting every day, daily read up. And then they'd say, right, where do we need the operational support unit? And we'd move wherever we were needed. So that was fantastic. Um, and then after that, just different roles, really custody sergeants. Uh, prison processor unit which was obviously you know the interviewing and kind of processing of prisoners and by this point I took the inspector's exam so um, I became well I passed my inspector's exam 2008 so like eight years in total on the on the role to being a substantive inspector uh, I was obviously doing okay and then that's when it kind of basically plateaued a little bit if I'm honest because uh, you'll know yourself and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will the austerity measures came in with the government, all the public sector reforms and everything, and the police suddenly decided we can't start promoting people now. There's no money. So you're all kind of in one big kind of pot. So after being, um, like I said, passing my exams 2008, I ended up um, just, you know, doing little, little periods of acting here and there. You know what it's like, the ones, the, the weekend nights when they can't find anybody, <laughs> when the substantive inspector's on leave. So let's, you know, let's, let's pull the, the kind of um, temporary inspector in. So I did a few of those and then, you know, just moved around different units again, doing different things um, until 2014 when I actually got a good run for a year. So they came to me, the senior leadership team, and said, can you be an inspector for a year? And um, went on response for a year. Um, really, really hard that year, if I'm honest, Andy, without going into it too much um, at the time. I had um, unfortunate news that my dad was suffering from cancer at the time. Um, and my wife was working nights as well. She's a civilian working for the police. So she's a custody detention officer, you know, processing the people in custody. Um, and it was a horrendous year, if I'm honest. I look back now and I think, how do we get through that year? Because, you know, if we're both working nights, it meant that obviously one of us had to but leave. Um, my mum and dad obviously weren't part of the babysitting duties anymore. By this point, I had a, I had a, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So you can imagine, can't you, you know, in terms of resilience and everything else, it was a real test. Um, and we look back now and we both say, you know, how do we get through that year? Uh, all the babysitting duties fell extensively on her dad and stepmom. Uh, but anyway, we got through the year. And at the end of that year, I was obviously reverted back to a sergeant. And I think it was at that point, Andy, if I'm honest, where kind of realised, you know, what is my progression here? You know, what what is happening in terms of the police? I thought I would have been a substantive inspector by then. I actually put my papers in to, you know, to go to the board that year. But I think with everything, it sounds like an excuse and it's not. I look back now and I think I wish I'd not bothered. Because there's everything going on with my dad to try and obviously, you know, put my papers in to become a substantive inspector. Took a lot of doing really mm. um, with everything that got on. And, I, you know, I dipped, I dipped the papers in. Um, and I think that's when the, probably the first time where I thought I started to fall out of love with the job a little bit. You know, I thought I've, I've put myself forward. I've done a year, you know, I've done my shifts. I've covered shifts temporary when people don't want to do it. You know, weekend nights, I've changed things with family and everything else. And there was people who had passed their exams, obviously, since 2008, who, for whatever reason, they were flavour of the month at the time. And, you know, they, they got the kind of longer stints or, you know, they were kind of supported in a better way than I thought I was. Um, again, I don't want people listening to this thinking I was making excuses. That was kind of my real thoughts on it. Um, and it's, that's, that's when I thought, you know, there's, there's more to life than this. And in some ways, I was, I was a bit of a crossroads because I was kind of coming up to 15 years service. So, you know, you have it halfway through your career, isn't it? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking if I do any longer, it's not worth going. And if I don't go now, I may as well stay. 
So it was a big decision, really, around this is kind of coming up to now 2015, 2016. And I thought, no, there's more to life. I want that normality of, um, you know, like a, like a Monday to Friday type role where, you know, you're not kind of told when to work. You're not having your days off cancelled. You know what it's like. I'm speaking to the converted and a lot of people listening will hopefully be nodding their heads with it. And that's how I felt. Um, so that's when I kind of made the momentous leap to leave the police. How did you go about doing it, Stuart? What was your any sort of process that you followed and what, what what did you do? Yeah, I'd started looking. I know on your previous podcast and I think, you know, I've been nodding my head driving to work listening in the car because I think the, the ultimate thing is, is obviously you've got to get your CV right because I'd never had a CV in the police, never needed to. You know, I, I joined at the age of 24 thinking I'll do 30 years, I'll retire and I'll worry about what I do after that. It was just literally nothing else in my mind but to complete my 30 years. So you don't need a CV. You know, you obviously you need to be able to interview and, you know, set some centres within the police. In terms of, you know, um, getting on a CV, there was no need. So the first thing I did was obviously to look at, um, you know, get your CV done. So like anybody else, I took advice. I looked at kind of the, the CV writers, professionals who could articulate the CVs in a better way than I could. So I started to kind of develop that, started to speak to people I could trust outside of the police, looked at cover letters and started to get everything ready. And then an inspector who was substantive, he, um, I used to see quite a lot of him because he would obviously hand over to me. So we see each other a lot of the time and hand over. He'd left the police to go to the Royal Mail. So at the time, what they were doing was they were trying to change the culture of Royal Mail. They were trying, it's the first time ever they decided to recruit externally senior leaders because what they didn't want was, a bit like the police with the, you know, the kind of uh, fast track program that they've started to introduce. They didn't want to be promoting people from within who, you know, it's like, oh, job's rubbish. Why is it, why are we doing like that? Oh, it's rubbish. You know, the usual, the postmen and women who had been there for years and they were kind of ingrained in that culture so they wanted to bring in the, the friend of fresh eyes and ears into the business so he'd gone to Royal Mail uh, thoroughly enjoyed it he'd been there a few months by this point we'd kept in touch he was telling me all about it they were very impressed with him because they he brought a lot of transfer I know we keep using that phrase transferable skills but that you that uh, you're nodding your head about he kind of brought that into the Royal Mail because obviously all the you know the previous skills that we'd had so just by chance uh, he said He'd had a director approach him and said, look, you know, really impressed with how you're settling in. Are any of your colleagues in a similar position? Do you know anyone at work who maybe, you know, were interested in coming join us? So he had a chat with me and said, what do you think? And at that time, as I explained, you know, I was really ready to go. I started looking at things and I thought, yeah, let's let's give it a go. If nothing else, it's great experience because I've not had an interview outside the police in, you know, 16 years. So, you know, let's see what it's like. I have nothing to lose. So I had the first stage was an informal chat with the director, uh, the kind of regional director for the Northwest, who basically, it was an informal chat. You know, he said like, you know, obviously you've got a lot of skills that I think we could use. Are you interested? And we had the informal chat. And from that chat, he then said, like, I'd like you to apply for it, you know, fully to go through the program, um, which I did, which involved, um, it's quite in depth, to be honest. It was kind of a video interview and it was um, like an assessment center with a presentation and everything else. And that's what I've got to say. Um, you know, I won't hear about a bad word for, about the police in certain situations in terms of the training I think we're given and the background we get, I think, is second to none because I actually, by this point, another colleague had, uh, had applied as well. And I know for a fact that we both came top of that process by a country mile. And I think a lot of that was to do with our police kind of training and background and, you know, leadership skills and media work that we'd done and everything else. I think it was just that background we had really allowed us to present ourselves in a good way. So I kind of aced the you know, the, the assessment centre and process. Um, and I was offered a job with Royal Mail. Uh, and that was, we're looking now, June 2016. I resigned May 2016. 
Um, and then obviously June 2016, I started with the Royal Mail. Fantastic. Amazing, that whole transition and how it happened so quickly as well. But um, what, what did you find the challenges to be, Stuart? And, um, you know, that initial transition from the job to the Royal Mail. You know, Royal Mail is very unionised. They can be quite challenging to work with. How did you find all that? Exactly that. It was a massive challenge because what had happened was because I'd done so well at the process, I went to my local depot to do my training and it was great. It was literally around the corner. I couldn't believe my luck. It was summer. You know, I was okay. We were starting really early in the morning, six o'clock, but you were kind of finishing half one, two o'clock because uh, you think you're done your kind of eight hour day by then to half past two latest. So I was picking kids up from school every day. It was a five minute commute home. The sun was shining. Everything was great. The manager uh, at the depot was very good. He was very experienced. I learned a lot from it. It was a big, big depot. So I thought, I'm getting some really good training here, you know, some really good grounding. And then it was, should have been a 12-week training program, but with annual leave and over the summer and everything, it actually ended up being eight. And the guy who, one of the regional managers who'd interviewed me, he, um, he basically contacted me and said, look, you know, you did really well on the interview. I want you to come and help me. Uh, he covered Liverpool, um, which when you talk about union, when you talk about heavily unionised, it's the most probably most prevalent unionised kind of part of the country. Uh, in terms of what it had, it had its own problems and challenges in many ways. So he wanted me to come and run a branch. And part of me was thinking, you know, I've done eight weeks of a 12-week training program here. I'm probably not ready for it. But then the other part of you thinks, hang on a minute, you know, I've been a police officer for 16 years. It's a challenge. I can't say no. You know, I've really got to test myself here. So it was, what do I do? And I thought, no, I'll go for it. So I went to um, to a particular depot in Liverpool. Now, again, what happened, um, I, think, I think in some ways, looking back now, I probably think, it was probably the wrong job for me to go to straight from leaving the police because I'd gone from kind of one extreme to the other. It was almost a polar opposite. In the police, you know, there's obviously a rank structure, there's discipline. Predominantly, I would say 95% of police officers are hardworking. You know, they, they put up with days off being cancelled, they put up with being extended and all the, you know, restrictions on the social life and everything else. And I went to Liverpool and basically it was the workers, you know, seeing somebody coming in on a good salary from the outside that you had never been a postman. Within a week, they knew I was a Man United fan, uh, which I don't know how they found that out, but I'd not told anybody, but that didn't go down well in Liverpool, as you can imagine. And there was a little bit of resentment. And what I found was that these men and women wanted to kind of finish work as quickly as they could and probably cut as many corners as they could because that was what they'd been used to and everything else. So it was almost like the irresistible force meets the immovable object. It was, there was a clash because I had standards. And I went in and I was like, this is how you'll work. And, you know, because of my police background and they were kind of resistant to that, saying, who's this guy coming and telling us what to do? So um, I struggled. I'm not going to lie. I struggled early on. Um, it got to the point where, you know, they, wouldn't even, they weren't even wearing a uniform. So I was challenging them on that. And they'd say, yeah, yeah. So, you know, one guy in particular used to wear tracks at the top. And I'd say, where's your uniform? Oh, well, this is just why I'm loading the van. As soon as I get out, I change it to my Royal Melbourne. Like, okay. So typical police background investigator, Decided to follow him one day, meet up with him halfway around the round, halfway around his round. Guess what? He's got his tractor top on. So, yeah, a lot of kind of um, problems, a lot of challenges. However, but looking back, even in the short term, uh, I did achieve some good results. You know, some things hadn't been done correctly before. They'd never been told about certain situations that they were performing so badly. Literally, they never had communication. They didn't know how badly they were performing. So I created like that culture of almost, you know, you don't want you don't want other depots to beat you. You know, let's kind of, you know, generated a bit of competition really. And I did get some good short-term results. So, yeah, I was kind of at Royal Mail for, um, for a few months. It, it was a hard transition. Like I said, I think... Going back from the police, you know, and how disciplined that structure was and, you know, the rank structure and everything else, it was it was very difficult after having 16 years to go into, like you say, a regulated environment like that that was heavily unionised. Mm -hmm. 
And that was an um, operations manager, wasn't it? That type, the job title. Yeah, it was, yeah. The actual job, the job title was a um, depot kind of depot manager. Um, I'm trying to think what it's called, but yeah, it was almost like an operation. Basically, the depot I went to, it had 42 staff, so I was responsible for obviously all the KPIs within that fleet. You know, the performance of the the actual, you know, getting obviously all the mail out and everything else. But there's obviously more to it in terms of. Like you said, they, you know, there were certain KPIs that Royal Mail had in terms of percentage of delivery on time and first, you know, first time delivery and everything else. And that was frustrating because they, they, they'd come back at the end of the day with like lots and lots of parcels. And I'd be like, why are you bringing it back? Oh, well, the person wasn't in. Well, what about knocking, you know, on a couple of doors? Well, I've not got time for that. Well, it's only one o'clock you're coming back. And it was what you call job and knock. So when they came back, their job was done. Mm-hmm. So if they were, they were back at one o'clock and they were supposed to be on till three, they'd go home at one. And I was like, I can't get my head around this. So, Obviously, I started asking questions, and you could just see probably from the way the conversation is going that we had this clash of the standards that I'd been used to and I'd worked to in the police to you know what's happening in Royal Mail. So yeah, it caused a few problems. Oh, well, it sounds like a hell of a job to go to. You know, your first job straight from the job is um, yeah, it was. that's a toughy, real tough grounding. But um, you know, from there, you've done incredibly well as well. And, and do you want to just give us a bit more um, about what you've done since then, and and also about the process that you went through to to move to these different roles as well, please, Chip. Yeah, well, by this time, I'd been Royal Mail, and um, as, as I said before about never doing a CV whilst I was in the police, I'd never done LinkedIn before, never bothered, never had to do LinkedIn whilst I was in the police. And a few friends of mine had started talking about it, and I was kind of started logging on and just having a look around and everything. And I thought, I need to get myself a profile. And just by chance, uh, I joined LinkedIn. Uh, this is why I've been, at the, I've been at Royal Mail then probably about three to four months an old friend of mine from university, uh, he'd done really well for himself, very successful businessman. His dad owned um, a huge lifting gear hire company that was basically all over America and all over Europe. He owned a brewery. And from being back at university within 20 years ago, he, his dad obviously owned the business then. And we used to kind of, you know, joke with him and say, why are you going to university? You, you know, you don't need to, you're going to have this job for life. And he said, no, my dad wants me to, you know, to kind of get me the right education to run the business. So he was on my business course. So we kind of, you know, were friends at university, not kept in touch after university, not because we'd fallen out or anything, just that, you know, it's like when you leave and you just lose touch. So a couple of old university friends then got in touch with me on LinkedIn. And this guy who I used to work with, he's, he's 10 years older than I am. He, um, we decided to just have a bit of a chat and he phoned up and said, what are you up to? So I told him about Royal Mail and I said, what are you? And he said, oh yeah. And he was telling me about his companies and I said, oh, you know, you've done well for yourself. And we just got chatting. I told him I was unhappy and he said, look, he said, I've got something for you. So he had this idea and he said, look, I can't get it off the ground. I've no, I've no time. I've no, you know, I've no, no kind of energy to get it off the ground because of the other businesses take up so much of my time. I'd like, you know, are you interested in coming and running it for me? I can trust you. You've got honesty, integrity, everything else. So we had a few conversations back and forth, uh, you know, money, salary, things like that. And then in the end, he more or less matched what I was on at Royal Mail. And he said, look, I'll give you total autonomy here in terms of you report to me. Um, you know, you can if you need to start later one day or finish later one day, you can. there's no problem at all with that. Um, there'll be bonuses included. Within three months, I'll make you an MD um, and everything else. And it was a fantastic offer because, again, at Royal Mail, you were working Saturdays as well, you know, one in three Saturdays or something like that. And I thought, this is fantastic. And... It was a real crossroads because I'd always been um, quite a safe type of person. You know, the police was a secure job. You know, I kind of like plodded along with the police, albeit I'd done well in terms of promotions, but I kind of set my stall after I'll do 30 years in the police. Going to Royal Mail was a big kind of move in itself, but it was still at the time, 
uh, kind of a secure role, FTSE 250 company. You know, if you did nothing wrong, the chances are you'd, you'd stay there a long time. So to leave Royal Mail to what essentially was obviously a startup um, with no kind of, you know, guarantee that it was going to work or anything like that, it was almost like, you know, what, what are you doing here? So I talked it over my wife and everything else. And I kind of came to the conclusion that I've never taken a risk before. And I thought it would be just like me to, to say no thanks. And I'm sat there in a couple of years' time watching TV and the advert comes on for the company. And, you know, it's taken off. And we joked about it. I said, you know, that, that could have been me. And I said to my wife, you know, imagine being able to put MD on your CV and you know, imagine to kind of the status it would give and just the experience of working with a successful businessman and being exposed to him at that level, you know, see the decisions he makes and everything. I said, it's, it's a good offer. I said, it's great in terms of, you know, kind of, it's almost like running your own business with somebody else's money because essentially that's what I was doing. So I took a few weeks to decide and I thought, no, I'm going to give it a go. So I took him up on his offer and joined the company, um, which was called Cubes Design Limited. And essentially, it was obviously to, to get the business from concept to trade. So at the time, it was an idea. He had a guy, like I said, he had the machine in place in one of his existing units. And he had a guy who was kind of practicing on it and building things for his other businesses. So, you know, desk furniture and things like that. So what it then needed was somebody to kind of get it to the next level. So that's what I ended up doing next. Amazing. It's so, different. So, so it? different. different. But what it does know, show, it there's is. a couple of things here, actually. There's a couple of things that really stick out for me in that. The big one is obviously your network. Mm. It's so important. And, you know, whether that's mm. through LinkedIn or people you know, just, you know, building those relationships and, and getting to know, you know, what you could potentially offer other people and what they've got coming up and all that sort of stuff is so, so important. Um, and also that the first job you go to when you leave the police doesn't have to be your last and, and um, you know, that's not going to be your forever role. And um, there's a guy called Fraser Bishop. He talks about this within the group and, and he's a guest on the podcast as well. And he mentions exactly this. And, and I think that's a big fear for us when we've been in careers for such a long time, or a career, single career for such a long time, whether you see your entire service out or not, you know the potential to be there forever and your entire working life is, is there. Um, so to suddenly think, actually, no, I'm going to move and do something else. And potential redundancy or, you know, you don't like it, you want to, you know, there are other jobs out there and you pick up skills all the time from these different roles that will help you in the next role, you know. So it's, it's brilliant to hear, Stuart, it really is. Um, so sort of briefly then, what have you done steps-wise to get where you are now? Because obviously you've, you've moved to the Royal Mail, then the um, startup. How have you progressed to be where you are now in terms of your own consultancy, which is just a fantastic thing to Yeah. So to, to, to summarize that job, it, what I did was I just I basically got it, to, you know, from concept to trade. So the logistics, the packaging, I secured commercial agreements with obviously suppliers. Um, I secured commercial agreements with some sporting clubs to produce kind of club branded bookcases and everything else. I exhibited at Ideal Home Exhibitions and everything. So in terms of the experience it gave in the 14 months I was there was absolutely huge because, again, I'd worked at that level where I'd meet with them a couple, once a week or once every couple of weeks with, with plan a strategy. Um, and again, somebody who'd been in the police and never done any of this before, suddenly I'm, you know, I'm responsible for the marketing side of it, the organic growth of the website. You know, I'm, I'm helping with the website. I'm speaking to website designers. I'm, you know, we're selling on eBay. I'm, I'm learning so much. It really is. It's, it's a real kind of, a, you know, accelerated growth really in terms of my commercial knowledge from leaving the police. But I think what happened was I got to a stage then where I'd done what I could and we were selling on eBay, but it was moving very slowly. And I think if I'm honest, um, it needed that next level of kind of not just the investment in terms of financial sense, but probably somebody who understood the industry, you know, somebody who understood the computer machine, somebody from maybe a January type background to take it to the next level. And I didn't have that. 
And towards the end, I was becoming a bit, you know, itchy feet and thinking, well, you know, what do I do now? How can I take it to the next level? So again, and when you talk about networking, obviously I've not had an interview for this job. And then by chance, I'd, um, I kept in touch with a police colleague who had left the police in 2014 to his dad had formed a language company, um, interpretation and translation company. So they would provide interpreters to Crown Courts all over the country. They had a contract with the Ministry of Justice to do that. And they would supply interpreters to, you know, solicitors, colleges, schools, sometimes police, anything like that. Anybody who needed interpreters. So his dad had formed a company, um, kind of took it to a level of a, more of a lifestyle business and wanted to kind of kick on and thought, well, I can't take it any further. So his son, who obviously had a business degree and, you know, some commercial knowledge and everything, he left the police to go and run the company. And I remember at the time, I said that was a really bold move because, you know, again, it was a no guarantee of its success or anything else. So he'd gone and he'd done really well with his company. Really, really quick, rapid growth um, in terms of, you know, turnover and, and staff and premises and everything else. And we'd kept in touch only through Facebook and social media. Not, we weren't great friends or anything like that. It was a colleague in the police. And we'd kept in touch. One particular day, I'd done the school run and uh, we started talking on Twitter about football and ended up, um, him phoning me on his way to work on the train and I was saying you know how well have you done he said yeah the business is going great and everything and we just got chatting and he said what about you what are you doing I said well I'm at this business I said but you know I think I'm kind of coming to the end of it because I've got it where I can I think personally need somebody else with more expertise to take it to the next level you know I, I probably you know probably looking for something so he said well I'm always looking at taking people on you know I knew, I knew you were the police are you free for a coffee why don't you come in send me your CV I'll have a look and we'll meet up in a couple of weeks so uh, I sent him a CV, didn't really hear anything for a while. And then two or three weeks later, um, he messaged me and said, can you come in for a coffee to the head office, to where they were based? So I went in and his number two at the time was an ex-police colleague. Um, so I knew him as well. So the three of us were just chewing the fat in his office and he said, look, to cut a long story short, you know, we've had this real kind of rapid growth, but I've done it with kind of a lot of young employees, some kind of young people. And I think I need somebody to come in now. I'm at the stage now where I need some somebody to come in, you know, a seasoned kind of experienced manager who can put some processes and systems in place to kind of take us to the next level. Are you interested? Um, so, yeah, so he's like kind of, you know, after being in the police for 16 years, I'm now on, I'm now contemplating my third job in probably two years. So you can imagine, you know, my friends and my wife, what's going on, you know, and it's, uh, it's very strange. But it like I looked into it, everything else, I looked into the company and I could see, you know, there's real demand obviously with the, you know, the constant migration and, Every, you know, there's growth year on year in terms of, you know, foreign nationals needing to speak the language and it seemed like a really good kind of safe move and everything else. So I joined uh, initially as kind of the operations manager. So I was responsible for, I was the liaison between um, the company and the Ministry of Justice contract because obviously that was worth a lot of money to the company, that one big contract. And then obviously I was like um, the operations manager, I was kind of the liaison for some of the local councils that they provided work for and some of the solicitors and more some of the local businesses. So yeah, I joined that company um, as essentially head of operations, I suppose. Operations manager, one of those. Um, really enjoyed it for the first six months or so. Um, but then unfortunately, because of uh, diversified into different areas and everything else, um, he kind of wanted, he wanted, you know, not to put all his eggs in the basket of the Ministry of Justice contract. He wanted to look at other areas. So he said, you know, he said, I think, um, I think you'd be well suited to kind of business development. Are you interested? Um, and I probably, you know, I've never done sales before as such, a little, touched on a little bit with the graduate management program, but I'd, I kind of agreed with him. I probably was the best person in the business to take that on. So I became kind of, you know, touched on the business development as well. So I sort of had a hybrid role really of still trying to look after operations, uh, but also lots of business development. But 
you know, I learned a lot from that role because, you know, the, the, the network it gives you there, obviously you're dealing with, you know, thousands of translators, freelance interpreters, you're dealing with some kind of senior people within, you know, some of the bigger companies. So it was great in terms of, you know, again, increasing the commercial knowledge. So the key skills really from policing and your experience in policing, what do you think were the key ones in terms of that, what you could take and, and give these different organizations over such a short period of time? What were the key sort of behaviors and skills? Yeah, I think there's two. And I think the first one, and I think the, when I had the informal chat with the director, I knew within minutes that um, I'd be okay in that role or he was interested because I think we underestimate our resilience. And I know some of your previous guests have touched on it, but it's hard to explain to people when you've been in situations where you have anybody who's not been in those situations, it's hard to, to fathom, isn't it? You know I mean? You know, even like, you know, I still got, I still got a good friend now who can't believe that, you know, as an inspector, when you, when you take children out, you know, you take children into care, you remove them from the family for the right reasons, how you have got that authority to make that decision and the impact that that has on, you know, you as a person, you know, you made that decision, that child, the family, you, you know, you obviously you, you, you know, you understand what I'm saying, but in terms of resilience, in terms of, you know, I mean, I look at the Labour Party conference when I was um, when I was on that as a searcher. Twelve successive night shifts. You know, twelve twelve hour nights. You just get on with it. It's just part of the job, isn't it? You know, you think trying to explain that to some other people, and it, it's it's you know, you you know, you're searching skips, you're searching bins, you're searching dirty, horrible, infested areas in all sorts of conditions. But you you just get on with it. You know, you, you have little breaks because of your job. So when I went to the director at Royal Mail, and he he just started off with a really easy question, such as. Can you give me an example of when you've kind of, you know, um, communicated under pressure or something like that anyway? And I just told him a, a bog, what I would consider a bog-standard story of negotiating with somebody uh, who was hanging off a motorway bridge, which to non-police personnel or non-emergency services personnel, you know, it's a big story, isn't it? But to us in the job, it's, it's an everyday occurrence. or Well, not every day, but quite regular. So, you know, I explained about negotiating with this person whilst the force negotiates with being blue-lighted to the job. And, you know, you, the pressure on you because one wrong word, if that person decides to let go, you know, the motorway's closed underneath. So you've, you know, you've got all the traffic chaos and everything. And I remember telling the story and he said, so what happened afterwards? And I said, well, you know, you have a bit of a hot debrief. You, you offer your, you know, you offer the people at the scene any welfare, you know, issues or anything like that. And he was kind of like absolutely fascinated by the story. And he said, you know, well, did you talk about it with your wife and your girlfriend? And I said, well, no, because it was just, you know, it was just a job. And it's then when you realise that we have got some kind of extraordinary, you know, different kind of skills to offer. Um, so I think the resilience is the big one. But I think the other one as well is probably communication. And I think that's probably my biggest skill in terms of, you think about when you're in the police who you're communicating to, you can be victims, witnesses, offenders. You know, you're talking to vulnerable adults, vulnerable children, sexual assault victims. You think of the, the kind of, you know, situation that you're in. And even as a custody sergeant, I know you were a custody sergeant as well, Andy. You know, you think of how you have to speak to people in there. You know, some people have never been in the system before. They don't know what they're doing. Some people are foreign. They don't understand English. Some people may be deaf. They need, you know, they need this huge plethora of different types of people that we come into contact with. So I think when you're used to talking to people at that level, and don't forget, I joined the police at 24, and I struggled early on because I was going to domestics, and I was trying to empathise. And, you know, you were getting a family. They might have been married 25 years. 24 of them really happy, but the husband had lost his job. And suddenly he's, he's lashing out at the family. And I'm trying to understand it. I'm saying, yeah, I understand it. No, you don't. You're a 24-year-old kid. Mm. You know, you, you, you know, so you almost have to develop your communication style really quickly um, to deal with that. And I think, I think you do that in the police or probably emergency services as a whole. So I think, so then obviously that did help me. So even though when I quoted Royal Mail about the problems I had, 
I still ended up getting some good short-term result because I was having to converse with, you know, predominantly kind of working-class males who, you know, maybe some of them didn't have children. And I did by this point and I was married. Or, you know, when I went to the language company, it was full of, um, it was full of young girls. It was full of girls in their late teens, early 20s. You know, 20 years ago, we were doing the best job in the world. But as a 40-year-old guy, um, you know, suddenly like, the conversation that they were having, you know, Love Island and, you know, Botox and all sorts of things they talk about. I, I'm suddenly like a, you know, a married man, 20 years their senior, trying to kind of get, engage on their level. So I think that really does prepare you in terms of the, the differences that you come across in the private sector. But I think our experience in the police is massive for that. Yeah, I agree. And then if you add to that as well, things like report writing, the sort of the way that we have to communicate in report writing and, and gathering evidence and interviews and all those sort of things as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we've got systems and processes that we follow. We're very adaptable. So there's all these uh-huh. key skills that, that we can, and then you match that to experience and, and, you know, the world's your oyster. It really is. Yeah. Um, tell us about your consultancy and how that's set up. Yeah, I think this is where I think, you know, some people say in life things happen for a reason, everything else. Um, I think this is where probably I'm starting to believe in a little bit because um, the company, the language company, as I said, um, it started to kind of, you know, struggle for, you know, cash flow and sales and everything else. And I could see the writing on the wall and I started to kind of look, you know, trying to intensify my search really. So the CV was up to date. I was trying to, you know, speak to different recruitment agents and looking at, you know, looking at my network as to who can help and everything else. And it kind of come along sooner than I thought, but I was actually let go in the July of last year. So um, I kind of had an idea, as I said, that, you know, things weren't going well, but called me in and said, look, you know, I can't afford to keep you on. Everything else, I'm really sorry. You know, I'm quite happy for you to um, finish for the month, you know, hand over to try and help you get your job. And it absolutely floored me because, you know, 20 odd years of working, two young kids, um, you know, wife, mortgage, everything else. I've always been the main breadwinner. My wife does work, but I've always been the one earning the better salary. And it absolutely floored me to the point where, and I don't mind admitting this, um, I drove home kind of shell shots on the day I was told and I coach um, an under seven football team that my lad plays for and I was going to training and I thought, well, I can't cancel training. You know, it's not the lad's fault. And I went and on the way home, I phoned my wife and said, you know, I've, I've lost my job and I told her. And uh, I burst into tears. I don't mind admitting it. Um, and when I got there, the, the training, my youngest lad, um, he'd drawn me a card to say, hey, sorry, you've lost your job, dad. It was just floored me because, you know, you can imagine Kai and the eldest lad. I always remember the words because um, I always remember this. And he said to me, does this mean we can't have ice creams anymore? And it just, it just floored me because I thought, what, how can you answer that? So mm. it was massive. And um, it obviously then, you know, suddenly I'm out of work. I've got kind of three and a half weeks. Don't get me wrong. I've got, you know, a bit of savings. Parents who would have helped out. I've never gone hungry. You know, the mortgage would have been paid. But, and this was, I think, when... Uh, you and I got first got it in was. touch, Andy. It was. Because, yeah, because I put myself out there on LinkedIn. Some really, really good people came to me, Ed, really. Some real big hitters that I would call. You know, I've got one of my best friends, owns his own uh, business. He's one of the fast-track uh, growing companies in the country. You know, he started putting stuff out there. And before you know it, you start, you realise how good people are and there's some opportunities out there. So this is where, again, um, I think, you know, sometimes things happen. I got in touch with a recruitment agency and there's something about the advert. He didn't specify what the role was. He's kind of made out it was a project management role. Didn't go into it in too much detail, but somebody, something piqued me interest. And I thought, I'm going to phone him and speak to him. So I messaged him on LinkedIn and I said, any chance we can have a chat? I'd like to register with you. Um, and I'd obviously had project management experience within the police. So I'd done a change management program for three to four months, reporting to the senior leadership team, you know, dealing with external stakeholders, all the usual stuff. And we got chatting and I told him all about your background and he listened. And at the end of the conversation, he started laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? He said, I've got a role here. He said that I'm thinking to myself, how can I fill this role? 
he said, and you just ticked every single box. He said, I can't believe my luck. He said, literally, it's a week old. And what it was, it was obviously this role within the NHS where the, you know, the kind of the bosses over the interpretation service had looked and thought, we're spending far too much on this. What's happening to the budget? You know, why, why are we doing this? Basically, it needs an absolute, complete and utter overhaul and a review. So he said, ideally, he said, I wanted somebody with project management experience, which you've got, somebody kind of, you know, with your kind of track record and honesty, integrity and everything because of who you're working for. He said, but this is ideally a bit of knowledge of the language industry would help. He said, and you've been head of operations for like 16 months. He said, so, wow. So, yeah, so um, because of the, um, you know, kind of regulations around everything, I couldn't become a sole trader in Thailand. So I had to form my own limited company, which I've done now, uh, my own consultancy company. So back in August last year, it all happened really quickly. I'd kind of had the initial phone call with him. He said, send me your CV. I did. Can you do a cover letter? Yes. Um, he sent it on to the associate director at the NHS. And within a week, I was sitting in front of them being interviewed and literally told more or less that same day, can you start within a week? So within the space of two weeks, you know, you're looking at now probably three and a half weeks after I'd left the previous company. So, you know, thankfully, financially, I wasn't, um, you know, at a loss or anything like that. And I naturally morphed into this role. So, it was obviously, I mean, I'm paid on a day rate and I only work three days a week. So I actually think now, if I'm honest, this probably is the best job I've ever had in my career because um, to do three days a week for more or less a similar salary, probably a little bit more than what I was on, um, you know, is absolutely fantastic from the work-life balance point of view, you know, to be able to pick the kids up from school twice a week, you know, to be able to spend that quality time with them. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. The downside, like anything else, is obviously you're on a contract. So, there's no guarantee of obviously extensions, but um, I'm at the process now where I'm looking at with the extra two days a week, I've got probably trying to take something else on, you know, to obviously improve my experience, obviously generate more money um, and to do that with it. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm up to now. Amazing. What a great story. And I remember when you and I spoke around sort of July, August last year, and it was, mm. um, I know it was a tough time for you very much. And um, it's, it's great to hear how things moved just again through networking as well and just the power of networking is so so important and we talk about it all the time and i you know people who i um you know i who i help and and advise the networking is so so important you touched on it in terms of um you know what you've been able to achieve and the benefits of of what you've done most recently Stuart. um you know, how would you put your achievements and, and uh, with educational achievements as well? Have you continued to train and pick up other skills and have you done courses since leaving? Yeah, I've done the odd one. I mean, more more probably at the, um, at the kind of design company where I was doing a lot of things on Google. There's a lot of good free online courses out there, as you know, and I've done quite a lot of that. But I'm also quite big into um, kind of self-development as well. So anything in terms of leadership, some of the podcasts I listen to, some of the situations I've done. Um, I know we spoke before and I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at the Prince too. Uh, the practitioners course, I know obviously you've passed that, Andy. And I think, you know, having looked into it properly now, obviously when I took the job on, I didn't know where it was going to go and, you know, what was it going to evolve. But I think that the situation you're in now is that once you're in an institution like the NHS, you know, I think if you prove yourself kind of, you know, competent and trustworthy, there's obviously all potential opportunities down the line in other areas because it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, once this project is completed, you know, maybe that something else would come up and, you know, you get a good reference to go on to that. So yeah. I think it's really important to to kind of keep your eye on. And I think one of the, one of the best things I did, and I, I would advise, um, just trying to think about it now, I really, really push this forward. Anyone now listening to this who is still in the police, it's really important to have a different perspective on things. So I was told, I was advised when I was in the police, um, obviously all we were used to was the police and the public sector, and that way of leadership is very different. So what I did was, um, when I was in the police, and again, 
hoping somebody might listen to this and think it's a good idea. I actually went and spent a day um, with a, a different leader in the private sector. So a really good friend of mine is a CEO of um, a rugby league club. So, you know, biggish business, obviously. And I'm going to be honest here, I support the club. So there was a little bit of, uh, you know, thinking behind it that I'm going to mix business with pleasure here. So I got in touch with them and I said, can I come spend a day with you? So what do you mean? I said, well, I want to see how you deal with things. I want to see how you manage. I want to see how you lead. Because all I'm all I've known is the police. I want to see if anything I can take from what you've done. He said, "Yeah, no problem at all." And he was absolutely fantastic. He got me in, and again, it was a day off. I wasn't getting paid for this. It's when I was in the police. It was a day off, and it was a full-on day. It wasn't a case of a couple of hours of a cup of tea and a chat. It was full-on from half past eight till five thirty. He'd organised meetings for me. He had um, you know meetings with his staff. He had meetings with some fans forums. I ate with the players. You know, it was team talks in the morning. It basically, I got exposed to what he does on a daily level. And it absolutely blew me away, the differences in his management style and probably what mine was in the police. And I think if you think about it, Andy, when you go to a promotion assessment centre in the police, those senior leaders, the kind of a lot of things to listen to, it's very same isn't it? They'll, there's only so many jobs that they can listen to. Yes, I've been to domestic incident, I did this, I did a community impact assessment, I put a goal strategy in place. You know, it's just, if you can hit them with something that's very different and outside the box, you think of their interest and it peaks. So you imagine one of, one of our listeners now doing what I've just suggested, you've gone and spent a day in the private sector with somebody from Greg's or anyone, anyone, you know, a different industry. And then going back to that uh, promotion assessment centre to say, well, actually, this is what I've done and I've took away these good parts. I think it would blow somebody away because it just shows that blue sky thinking, doesn't it? A bit out the box and do something different. So that's probably one of a good piece of advice I'd like to pass on Definitely. to say, just think about, think about the bigger picture, think outside the police. The future for you then? Yeah, I think I'm hoping, obviously, I want to um, you know, carry on this as long as I can. But what it is doing now is it's opening some other avenues in terms of, obviously, you know, you get NHS on your CV. The networking, I think, you know, again, a good piece of advice was to, is to people to, you know, carry on with LinkedIn, get yourself exposed on LinkedIn, connect with people that at first glance you might think you've no actual real kind of something in common with, but you don't know who they're connected with. You don't know the type of links that they're going to share or post. And suddenly you're, on, you're exposed to a whole different world. So I think... The best thing I've done, I mean, I'm over a thousand connections on there now. And I'd like to think now that, you know, God forbid, if suddenly the NHS cancel my contract with a couple of weeks' notice, I'd like to think that with the experience I've got now and the contacts I've got, I could get something rather quickly. And whilst we're on that, it's just reminded me, I know you mentioned him, he's been a guest before, but Jamie Davis has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, he really guy. has. Great guy. I've had a lot of conversation with him. Really, really nice guy. We've kept in touch because obviously, you know, from a long term point of view, if something came up through Jamie, I'd be daft not to look at it because whilst this is a great job the three days a week and everything you know I'm still from a contract to contract basis so I know Jamie the type of clients he deals with you know a kind of you know large companies who obviously can offer that real sort of job security so he's been fantastic with me we've kept in touch we text probably you know every couple of weeks or so to keep in touch and have the odd chat and I I would urge any of your listeners Andy that if they were considering any sort of changes to if Jamie's obviously agreeable to it if they contact Jamie because he's been fantastic with me yeah, he's such a good guy, and uh, he's on podcast number four. Mm. Amazing, amazing bloke, ex uh, professional rugby rugby union. Yeah, that's right. Know, yeah, yeah. Have a bit of banter. Yeah, we do. But, yeah, we've had some banter yeah. about that. Yeah, good guy, really good guy. Um, and I'm sure he won't mind people um, connecting. He did offer that as well within the podcast. Um, I'm in a similar position to you, so I, I uh, contract, as you know. And although I don't do it as, as a consultant, I do it as a freelance, and. Um, I don't know how you feel. You know, I, I left the job, it's coming up to five years ago now. I was very, very fortunate. Um, and then in January last year, I made the decision to, to go it alone. Um, 
it's a real bottle test, but actually, you know, the, the benefits are, are incredible. Um, you know, just from a bit of freedom and, you know, to think, you know, both of us, you know, so you, you, you're inspector level, um, you know, for a period of time, but it's substantive sergeant, me as a skipper as well. And you sort of think, you know, so soon, within a few years, you're in this position where you're virtually your own boss, earning good money and, and mm. being able to sort of pick and choose to some extent. And yeah, it is a little bit risky, but, um, but the benefits are massive. I, I actually sort of pinch myself sometimes. I can't quite believe I'm doing oh. what I'm doing, you know, so... I must admit, it becomes a topic of conversation when I'm out and friends will say, like, you've got the best job in the world and I can't believe you're going to do three days a week. But like I said, I'm probably in a position now, depending on what happens, I'm looking at, I've had a couple of people approach me with some business ideas and said, look, you know, can you help me with this? And I said, yeah, but that's fine because I'll just invoice you for, you know, it may not be the, I probably won't do the same day races I'm on at the moment, but I'll invoice you for my time. Yeah. You know, we'll do it that way with the two days a week. So I've got a few kind of irons in the fire at the moment that I'm looking at, um, which is obviously materialised through, through the work I've got. So yeah, I think things are, at the moment, you know, things have worked out well. And I, I do pinch myself sometimes to think, you know, I can't believe this. I'm, I've got a job that I enjoy, yeah. you know, at a really good, reputable national institution, you know, and I'm, and I'm off, I'm off for four days out of seven. Incredible. Incredible. Um, amazing interview, Stuart. Thank you so much, mate. If people want to reach out to you and, uh, and get in touch, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, no problem at all. I'm on LinkedIn. Obviously my name, Stuart Maguire. Um, they can find me on that. Um, uh, obviously I'm part of the blue light leavers group. So anybody sees me on that. And I'm, I, like I said before, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've uh, reached out to a couple of people on the group with different things uh, and they've been great. You know, Jamie being one of them, a couple of others as well. And I'm more than happy if people want to, you know, maybe there may be people listening who are in the police now and thinking, well, how did you find this? I'm more than happy to pass my number on, you know, they can message me off via LinkedIn. I'm happy to talk to anybody if I can help in any way. And like you say, it's not all been plain sailing. The mm-hmm. issues I touched on earlier on my role mail, I faced challenges, probably made a few mistakes along the way. But, you know, I'm more than happy to help anybody. Really appreciate that. And thanks for your honesty as well all the way through. It's a, a fantastic interview. I know it's going to be a huge benefit to a lot of people. So, Stuart, thank you very much for your time, mate. Really looking forward to catching no up with you again soon. No problem. Thanks, Andy. Huge thanks for Stuart for his time today some fantastic information. So if you like what you've heard, then please leave a review and five stars. And you can also join us in our private Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash blue light levers. Look forward to seeing you there. Bye bye for now.